Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Facing. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Works. It's a locally owned meal prep kitchen with a passion for paleo. They make it easy for people to have the condition they need when they need it. They deliver weekly menus of heat and eat paleo meals, athlete recovery meals, and bulk macro items for those of you counting macros, as well as a variety of side items that can be added to your order. Their meals feature 100% grass-fed, all-natural and hormone-free chicken, beef, and pork. They have pickup locations all over the place to make it easy for you to pick up your meals, and they also have delivery options around Nashville area for a small fee. Paleo Works wants to make nutrition the easiest part of your day. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening uh, to the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. This episode was recorded at Mayhem, and I used some of their equipment. Um, on the headphones, it sounded great, but on the playback, it did not sound so great. But this story is fantastic, and so I would invite you to please uh, listen to it, check it out. Also, please feel free to go to the website, barbell-voodoo.com, for more information. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. This is uh, a joint podcast with uh, both Barbell Voodoo and Beautiful Strength. If you guys remember back, Annette McNamara was on the podcast talking about her Beautiful Strength campaign, and so she's launching this nonprofit. And uh, she's going to go around the country slash world. Um, I mean, yeah, you're really you're international once you cross over into Canada, and I believe you can do that, or I guess south of the border. So, um, anyways, but she is here. Uh, we are doing a podcast together here in Cookville, Tennessee, at uh, this little gym called Mayhem uh, CrossFit Mayhem. Yeah, pretty incredible place, but. Um, before you uh, jump to any conclusions about Rich Froning, and I mean, you've heard every story from him and stuff, we are not talking to Rich Froning, okay? Um, he might intro this podcast, but he is not the one we're interviewing today. We're actually interviewing somebody that's got a better story, a more a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, life than, than he does, you know? Uh, so, uh, but we're here joined today with uh, Michael Mills. You say hi. Morning. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, you never know when people they could be throwing hand grenades right now while they listen to this. You know. We've been introing this podcast for like the last hour, so it might be like dark outside. Are you trying to say my podcast intro was long? I, I had to cover all the bases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the cool thing is, just you know, this this is not um, necessarily a you know video podcast generally, but uh, we are in the place where another podcast is made. So this is kind of a triple podcast, if you want to think of it. There's, there's going to be a beautiful strength podcast. There's going to be a barbell voodoo podcast. But we're also in the place of Froning and Friends podcast. Yeah. So it's basically a triple threat. I'm absorbing all that extra like energy and like I don't know. I feel like I can get back into CrossFit now. The mayhemness. The mayhemness. Do you have the mayhem mindset right now? I do. There so you I'll go. Out and, like do some ring rows or some. I probably. That I can't have to now pay a couple thousand dollars for just saying that word now. I probably shouldn't have said it. I can edit it out. It's fine. It's fine. All right. So, Michael, so how, how we came to be connected was uh, we were competing both at uh, Bow the Barbells this last summer um, at, at Vanderbilt University and you were, you were there and um, funny enough, Annette came up and was like, hey, who is that guy? 
And I was like, well, I don't know. I have to admit, um, I kind of stalked you. I was only there the first day. I didn't this is super creepy. Please, please go ahead and tell the story because so. you might want to scoot over here afterwards. No. But I saw you from a distance. I brought my camera that day. It's not the fact. Don't tell anybody that. But I um, brought my camera. And like... But, but you had my pass. So there was a pass out there. Yeah. yeah. I just came in the back door. You just didn't use it. But no one else did. But from a distance, I saw you... Um, doing jump rope yep. stuff. Just and I was just like, oh my God, that guy looks awesome. But I also, doing the project that I do, it's kind of weird because I can see a lot of things that are different from people from just seeing them. Sure. And I didn't want to weird you out and I didn't want to offend you and I didn't want to be like, yo dude, you look kind of awesome. I'm going to take your picture because that's kind of creepy. So anyway, I like, I took your picture from a distance when you were doing that with your um, ropes, and then I went somewhere else and came back and we were talking to somebody, and then I went somewhere else again and you were gone. And so that night I got home and I was I was not planning on going back Sunday. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's really cool. Well, you had a name tag on, so I like zoomed in on the name tag and it said your name. I looked your name up on Instagram, and that's how I found you, and that's how I um, sent you a message. So, but if I wouldn't have done that, this would not have happened, yeah. and I wouldn't have known how awesome you are. So, so Annette, before we move forward, remind us about Beautiful Strength. Well, Beautiful Strength is a um, photo project where I take pictures of all different kinds of people, all different walks of people, all different lifestyles, people who are really resilient and who I just really feel are total badasses, and. Um, you definitely had that essence. Um, Badassery. Badassery-ness. Um, but I've photographed over about 200 people. It's just It just had a year, um, September 16th, so mm-hmm. two days ago or three days ago, four, whatever. Um, but yeah, and then I just bought a school bus that I'm converting to take around the United States next year. So you will get to be the very first person, well, technically the third person, to ride in the school bus, but first person. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all new. Yeah. It's all new. It's pretty cool. Um, all right. So as as our tradition goes in this podcast, we do um, we we like to hear people's stories. Uh, the you know for for me, it's where we find inspiration, where we find hope, and in, in moving forward because we're all on on this journey, and, and our journeys are, are different, and and how we journey is different, and how we've gotten to this journey is different, um, and so I always find hope and strength in other people's stories, and so. Um, I, I would love to hear yours and share that with, with our listening audience. Well, I guess I said that, but that's the category real quick. I'm actually, I'm actually pretty uh, What? Uh, I'm just trying. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to be a little bit like you said, you made a comment about something, and I yeah. said, you know, I would like to stand in the photo, but you're just kind of... Well, I think I was the one who said, you know, people chose like whether or not they stand or sit, and you're like, I would like to stand. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was, it was too easy. Softball. <laughs> but no, uh, I'll jump aside. I was um, been paralyzed since I was 16 years old. Uh, May the second, May three. It's been 26 years now. Um, I was hit head on by a drunk driver, and uh, I was probably about three miles from home when I got hit. And um, without going into all the detail of what you know, the, the crash, I guess basically, I was. Just got off of work, uh, hung out with my best friend for about an hour or so. He tried to leave me to spend the night, get up the next morning, go to Memphis, Tennessee, and go skate. And, um, well, actually, backtrack a bit. 
before I got paralyzed, I was actually an avid skater. skater. I was a skateboarder. I was a skater. And I had the little flippy hair thing. I had all that. <laughs> uh, the big baggy pants back in the 90s, you know, and the big double X large t shirts when I was like a two big. Some Jacobs? Yeah, yeah. That was back in the day, that's what we were. Um, but that was a style back then, you know. Now it's all the skinny jeans and stuff like that. But back then, it was the banger, the better. And um, it's got off where I was flipping burgers at Sonic. That's what I, what I did, you know. My, my dad raised me to have a job. So no matter what I did, Growing up in school, I had a job. I mean, my first job when I was 13 years old, so I had that responsibility as a teenager of work. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I stayed up work, like I said, with my, my friend's house, hung out there for a little bit, and it was off and gone. And um, around 12 2 a.m., I was coming around the curb, and I was about, like I said, about three miles away from home. And uh, he hit me head on. Mm. He said from the car ran and saved the accident that I saw him. I don't remember anything from my, from that time I woke up from my coma back. I don't remember any of my childhood. I don't remember growing up. I don't remember my mom and dad. Like, real stories of my own personal stories I don't remember. How long were you in the coma? Two weeks. Wow. Uh, they told my parents, if I, if I came out of, if I survived my surgeries, uh, I'd be in a coma for the rest of my life. Uh, I probably would never wake up. I had uh, my aorta, this main artery that goes to your heart, was severed. Mm. Usually within about 10 to 13, 14 seconds, that's it, you're done. And I was alive for six hours before they realized what was wrong. Oh, wow. And so there was a piece of fat, uh, on a piece of fatty tissue that was around the aorta that was severed, which medically it's not supposed to be that they said. It's just they, they've never seen a case to where a piece of fatty tissue was around the exact same spot that it was severed. So, what? Yeah, so they, uh, That's always, crazy. You know, always, you know, people ask me, is anybody, you know, with you when you had your car wreck? It's funny, he got out and watched that. He got out and watched that wreck. He, just, he was there to make sure I was all right. But, um, Goodness, that's awesome. It was one of those things to where they told my parents, like, you know, I guess speed up a little bit. They told my parents after the crash and all the damage and everything was done that they had to send me to a local hospital where I'm from in Mississippi, they couldn't do anything. I was too far damaged for them to fix me there. So they had to airlift me from my hometown hospital to an hour and a half away. I got to that hospital seven and a half hours after the crash, like 7.30 in the morning. We can't fix him here either. So we got to air him again back to the major hospital in Mississippi. So they got three quarters away there, and the weather had gotten bad by this time, by 9.30 in the morning and realized that, the, the, that they couldn't get high enough in the helicopter to get away from the weather, so they dropped down in the middle of the highway. Met, met, my, met me with, met, the helicopter met an ambulance on the middle of the highway. What? Plus me from the helicopter. You're out this whole time. I'm, like, I'm, 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 in a, I'm already out. They've got me such a day that I don't know all this. And so they're keeping me, blood putting in me, I'm pushing blood out the entire time. By the time I leave the hospital, the second hospital, they know what's wrong. They just can't fix me. So, like I said, they stop in the middle of the highway, touch down in the middle of the highway, and going towards Tupelo, Mississippi, where I'm, in the area where I'm, they were sending me to. And uh, bless me there. This time, my parents are having to go back and forth for the drive back two and a half hours away. Yeah. So they get there. They have me prep for surgery. They go in and start the surgery. I had a, a compound fracture in my left femur. Uh, that was the least of their concern. The most concerned was the... Uh, the heart, shoulders broke, my face was severely damaged, I had a bunch of broken bones in my face, 
and like their main concern was just to fix my heart. If they could fix that, if I survived that surgery, they would worry about this stuff later. Thirteen and a half hours later, I'm out of all my surgeries. Then it was like only time until um, they told my parents, you know, because of the surgeries, and they obviously knew that I was had a spinal spinal injury because of heart wreck. They didn't know how severe it was. They didn't know that I was going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life until they actually, actually finished the open heart surgery. So when they went in um, to cut me open to get to my heart, my aorta exploded. And they had just enough time to clamp it to do that. But when that exploded, it finished my spinal cord. I lost, they, they call it kind of like a stroke to your spinal cord. You lose all the blood flow and air supply to your spinal cord, which is like a stroke. Spinal cord is still intact. I just don't have my motor nerves. I have some of my, I have some of my motor, but almost, almost all of my sensory nerves. So they felt like they were asleep 24 7, that tingly kind of. Really? Yeah, so they're, they, like, if I'm moving my foot, like now, it's like a tingle. But I've gotten used to it over 26 years. So if I bump it, it's like, that's that feeling again. You bump that foot, it, it runs up and down your back. That's what it feels like all the time. No kidding. So it's, it's, I've gotten used to it over here, so it's normal for me. But later, let's go sleep, and that's what mine feels like. So it's kind of a, it's a unique, weird because. Not every spinal cord is the same. It's kind of a fingerprint. Nobody that has a spinal injury is exactly the same. They're all different in levels. They're different in their abilities. They're different in their um, their, their sensories. Okay. Well, I have like 85 to 90% feeling. A lot of the guys and girls don't have it at all. So I'm considered cursed to a lot of the paralyzed community because I have feeling with my use. It's a plus because I have feeling. I can tell if I hurt myself, I can tell if, if the water's too high, if I get in the bathtub or, or other things in life. I have friends that just don't. And I can't, me personally, I can't imagine what that would feel like. Um, but after the car crash, the surgery is like, you know what, he's going to make it. He's going to be going to be before he wakes up his coma. Uh, they said, you know, it would be. Maybe six months a year if I woke up. So, is this a medical induced coma? I uh, know. After the car crash, it was, it was a head injury. And um, so sometimes I, and I, and I don't know what I do it, but sometimes I catch myself going back and it's, I don't know if it's nervousness or if it's just a, my memory catching a thought that I thought I had the same thing to say. No, you're fine. Um, Mine works that way, anyways. <laughs> I don't have any reason. <laughs> but um, I wake up from a coma. And the first thing I, I, that I can remember in, in 93 would be Lucy Blade. <laughs> 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 my parents had MTV on the TV. That was just because that's, they knew this when I watched. They had the doctor like, hey, have something on. If he does come to, or if there's some kind of sound can get into his mind, that's what he'll remember. But when I woke up, the first thing I remember seeing is, you know, Nicole Holly. You know, <laughs> TB for my bunghole. <laughs> yeah, we just put out a shirt that recently of Beavis and Butthead. Barbell Voodoo, yeah. I wish I knew that story ahead of time. I'd have rushed one. No doubt. So I went up to my home and that's what I remember. That's my very first thoughts. Beavis and Butthead. And did you wake up going? All kind of straps and stuff. And yeah. I, the first thing I remember doing after seeing a bright light and seeing the actual cartoon is pulling, turning the whole tube out of the fence. Oh gosh! Yeah. yeah. So I have um, two of 
two scars on the left side where my arm surgery was, where I had ports for life support. So I pulled, was pulled out the tray, and I was pulling out. Oh, no, no. So as I'm starting going out, I started just because I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm waking up in, in a place that I didn't know where I was. So I had no clue that I was going to walk in when this is happening. I just wake up and I'm in panic. And the nurse comes in, and as she's coming in, I just cold cock her. Oh, no. She comes over and I swing. Because someone coming in, I had no clue what was going on. So she falls to the ground with alcohol. They rush my dad and say, your son's away. We need you now. And he's, he's flailing the cannon with me. My dad was part of the military. So he comes in, soldier. Cease and desist. Yes, sir. And that was it. And I wake up, and that's kind of how my life started over again. Goodness. So, kind of, but after that, it was kind of one of those things that was, oh my God, what just happened? You know, after all the, the, the panic, stricken, the, the flailing, the, the grabbing the cords, pulling things out, then reality would hit me. And it was, why can't I feel my legs? What's, what's going on? Um, why can't I use them? Why, what is it? Why am I squat? Where am I at? And uh, it was, I was in ICU for two and a half weeks. I woke up from my coma two weeks after my wreck. I spent four more days in ICU, got out of ICU, was into a regular room. And uh, I think my biggest reality was, was when my, I, was, <laughs> I was sitting in the uh, laying in the room. It was probably 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, my mom was on the couch bed asleep. My dad was in the recliner. And um, I kind of was kind of whimpering, you know, kind of just like, you know, kind of me kind of type thing. And um, dad's like, what's wrong? Exactly the way he said it, but yeah. What do you mean, yeah? He said, Well, you don't remember two weeks before you had your car wreck. You and I got into a big out, big knockout drag out fight. I hauled off and popped my dad. I thought I was going to be wrong. 16 years old. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, dad and I got into a big argument, and I hauled off and popped My dad said, If you think you're a bigger man, let's do it again. When I want to swing the second time, he swung. I'm going to my room, Doug. <laughs> 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 I'm going to my room, Doug. We, shortly after that, we kind of went outside and we were talking, and he wanted to know what, what, what was wrong. Why was I acting the way I was acting? And I told him, I said, I don't want to be different than anybody else. I don't want to be the cookie cutter teenager that I had in my school. I don't want to be the jock. I don't want to be the football player. I don't want to be the band team. I don't want to be the geek. I don't want to be the nerd. I don't want to be different. Uh-huh. He told me, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Mm-hmm. Weeks later, two and a half weeks later, I'm laying in a hospital bed trying to figure out what I'm doing in my life now, but I'm paralyzed. Saying this is not what I was talking about. This is not right. I'm laying there and dad's like, you asked for this. I'm like, no, I didn't. And your dad seems like a super blunt, like. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, my kids know I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, but he said, you asked for this. I said, no, I didn't. I didn't ask to be a cripple. I said, you, you did. You just asked for it to be this standpoint. You asked to be different than anybody else. Who else do you know that's paralyzed now? No clue. <laughs> and, but that was just the way my dad, growing up, was the mentality. You know, with the old, when your parents thank you, does he want to hurt me worse when I hurt you? No. It's not my dad. 
dad's like, this is going to hurt you. I'm going to feel fine when I get done. I'm going to get the meeting. He's not getting the meeting. I'm getting the meeting. But that was just the way dad was. He still is to this day. But it was kind of a hard pill for me to swallow right off the bat, thinking that this is something that I asked for. Mm. And I did ask to be different. I didn't ask to be this different. But it was one of those things to where when dad said, this is something you, you asked for. You, do, you know, when you ask for things like this from above, you, you don't, you can't be, sometimes it's not specific. It's going to go however they want it, he wants it to go. And whatever that is, whatever you get to, you get to play with. You know, so it's the card that you're dealt with. It's, it's the, it's, it is what it is. And um, so I kind of accepted it right off the bat. But dad told me, laying in the hospital bed, and um, we're sitting there. And it's like I said, it's, it's three o'clock in the morning, just me and him was awake and we're talking. And um, he told me this, uh, and I've lived my life this way ever since, and I don't think I've ever told you either one of you this at all. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's, it would be a good shirt. My dad told me, he said, life's like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the shit you gotta eat. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. Okay, all right, all right. And, and, and it's, it's, it's gross as it sounds. The more bread you have, the less crap you got to deal with. Hmm. And I have lived my life like that from June '93 every day since. I've had bad days. I just put bread on top of it. Okay. And it's one of those things that I that I learned real quick. That I, if I could make a choice to wake up to be in a good mood, my no matter what my day would go through the rest of the day. I still have a choice to make that a good day. And that was kind of like your, your crap sandwich. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the way that my dad looked at it for me to look, to, to look at, to live by. And it's worked. And the days I have good days, the days I have bad days, but just those days I have bad days, I got a lot of bread. Yeah. Well, and people, I mean, people underestimate, you know, kind of mindset things. Like, you know, you could have a good day if you decide to have a good day. We have this conversation with my girls every morning when we wake up, and, and you know, they can go, "This is gonna be a bad day," and you're like, "Yeah, it probably will be," you know, um, because you've decided it's gonna be already. And you wake up. I mean, number one, you just want to buy it when you woke up. Some people wake up I always tell you that people become in my office a lot, buddy, professionally. Uh, in my career is when they come in and they're pissed and been here and they're mad. I was like, you woke up this morning, you already went in a battle. I said, somebody woke up this morning dead. Look at me like, how did they wake up dead? Exactly. <laughs> Some people did not wake up this morning. So you've already started winning that war of whatever you're going to that day. You know, you woke up, you're breathing, you're moving. You've already won your day. Now it's just for you to capitalize on that win. And I've tried to, to do everything that I do with that mindset, with that movement, with that thought process, with that encouragement, even for myself, because I mean, there's days I wake up, but I woke up, so I was given a gift to wake up, and so I might as well go ahead and use that rest of that day as a gift. <laughs> so the, you know, this directly correlates, I was thinking about this th- this week, actually, you are talking about your mindset, and... Um, I was lifting yesterday. I was had a couple hours in the gym between classes, and uh, I was lifting. And there was there was at one point I was addressing the bar, 
you know, automatically was already starting to get in the mindset of like, this is too heavy. It's not to my max, but I already told myself subconsciously that it was too heavy. And, and I think that happens a lot of times in life in every aspect, whether it's lifting or CrossFit or whatever, like how you approach things, how you come into that um, scenario will drastically outcome, um, drastically affect the outcome in terms of how you get to it. Yeah. Like walking through mud. Yeah, and that's the big thing. It's, it's you know, it's what moves me with having, you know, a, a family, a wife, and three kids. I mean, I, I make, if I wake up pissing vinegar, how's everybody smacking on me? They're going to walk on eggshells. When you're afraid to say something, dad's mad at you. You know, and then dad's having a lobby day. No, they don't want to fool They don't want to So do you have those days? <laughs> Every once in a while, like, they're few and far between. Usually it's, it's, there's very few things that I, that I cannot do. Um, I usually find a way to adapt to make things work, but there's, there's some things in my life that I have to accept being paralyzed there. I just cannot do. Those are the things that really hurt me. Um, like, hurt you how? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Knowing that because of what happened to me, that somebody has to suffer because of that. Um, Teaching my daughter how to ride a bicycle. It's hard for me to hold her. I can't run with her. I can't hold on to her. So my 18-year-old can do that. Hard for me to swallow. I'm glad he was there to do it. Well, how'd he do it then? He ran with her. No, I mean before. How'd he learn how to do that? Okay. So, I mean, it was uh, his biological father did it. Okay. Um, he is my stepson, but I call him a little kid. Sure. Says, but, uh, yeah, why wouldn't you? But those things, that way... Um, even when I'm at the store, like if I have my six-year-old with me, that's my extra height. I'll pick him up with my arms and I'll hold him. You see that with your six-year-old in the air. And that's he hilarious. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a ground overhead boot. Um, but we, we figure those things out together. But when there's things of changing the light bulb in the house or not being able to... Um, put a new battery in the smoke alarm in the house. Things like that, that's trivial, that I have to ask somebody to do, bothers me. Because I can't figure out how to do it alone. So I have to accept the responsibility or accept the fact that I can't do it. Uh, because I've, I've always been, I do it myself, I figure it out. Well, there's a will, there's a way. Some things you just can't. Those things are all what hurt. And it doesn't hurt physically, it hurts emotionally because I know that there's a dependency when that comes in. I ask somebody to do it. I don't mind asking for help when I need it, but to have them swallow that and to say, okay, now I'm going to have some help. So how did high school change for you? Like you were, what, a junior when this happened, 16? And you still had a senior year to finish up before you could have like a real... Twice. Okay. Because like you have, you kind of have a fresh start when you go yeah. after after high school. You can kind of be somebody different. And you can, and you're just who you are. Yeah. But you have that had that transitional time. Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting because I had my wreck the last month of my junior year in high school. Lost all my credits. No. I didn't finish school, so I lost my credit. The, all the students in my school signed a petition. Sure. The county board to let me go in and be a senior, but I was struggling anyway, so it really didn't matter. Was, uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, but the kid that would pop his dad. 
Is that what you're saying? You fit into that stereotype? Is there... <laughs> Which would be sweet. Yeah. That's <laughs> beautiful strength right there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, and I always go back to when I'm, when I'm talking to students, when I'm talking to people about my life. I think, in, in my heart of hearts, I feel the wreck happened for that reason. It was, um, it was a wake up call. It was a, I, I feel personally we're destined for something, no matter what we all think it is. Um, I think we all have a why. That why might be that one person. That why, that why might be a podcast. That why might be getting in a bus and traveling to the United States. Um, we all have a why. We don't know what that why is. And I think my, for me, I think getting in this car wreck, being, becoming a, a paraplegic, becoming, um, actually passing school was, was my first, my first goal. Um, because I knew I couldn't work in a furniture factory, being a wheelchair. I just knew I couldn't. I tried it. That's just, that's another story too. Um, I blew a tire every time I turned around. Um, I would have never thought of that. Uh, That's. But. <laughs> you got to get a new job. We can't, your job isn't paying for your tires. <laughs> it's, we're not recouping those costs. But it was one of those things to where when I got paralyzed, it was a reality that I had to change some things with what I, where I was. You know, when we go through a loss of a job, a divorce, or, or things like that, it's, it's a reset. Like you were talking about the reset because. Um, was a typical teenager didn't care about life. I didn't care. I, didn't, I thought the world owed me something. But when I woke up, I realized the world gave me something I didn't have for me. And we're like, ha! Play with this one that way. And so it was a, it was a, and I always like challenges. So. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so my dad said, you asked for this. So this is your way of, of now you have a choice to run with this, so to speak, or not. Um. Part of my family thought I should put a shower on my legs and twiddle my thumbs for the rest of my life and, and be vegetable. I just I wasn't built that way. I that way as a kid and I wasn't built that way right after my injury. So immediately I started trying to figure out things, trying to figure out what I could do and, and, and to make things work from home. Um, my dad, like I said, was instrumental in me being who I am today because he didn't true code anything. He didn't make the house accessible. Um, to this day, all the dishes at my mom and dad's home were up high. I had to literally pick myself up onto the counter, grab my dishes, get back into my chair, and do what I had to do. Because dad said, why should I change for you? The world's not going to change for you, so why should I? And that was another thing that kind of stuck in my mind with him is because if I've got to learn to adapt to what's not around me. You're not going to adapt to me. I've got to figure out how to make things work because there's only one of me the shape that I'm in, and there's thousands of other people that are walking along. So I mean, it's just like here at the, the camp, Richie's not going to set a program up for 30 people to work out with just because I can't do that workout. So I've got to figure out a way to make it work for me while I'm here around other people. Life is the same way. So if I go to a restaurant that's not, quote, handicap accessible, but I still want to eat there, food's great. I want to get in there something. Mm-hmm. And it's just i got to figure out a way to get in. Yeah. And that's just kind of the way that my dad made things work at home. I broke a lot of dishes. <laughs> I broke mm-hmm. a lot of dishes. And to this day at my house, my own personal home, it's a two-story house. It's not accessible. I have a little ramp to go from the front door to the back door, but that's it. All my dishes are up high like everybody else's dishes. 
<laughs> and so, uh, so what happened after high school? What, what did you do? Um, did you go into the? I mean, I went straight to the workforce. Um, I thought it would be cool just to have a regular, normal job, and, and that's where I went to work at the furniture factory. And I thought, you know what? I get a job in furniture factory, and the guy felt sorry for me. So my job was filling up. If you've ever worked in a furniture factory or know what it's like, the assembly line. You have the, everybody stands there with their blue, their guns, and they got the blue, the blue jars and everything. My job is to fill the blue jars up. Blue, blue, everywhere. All over me, no matter what. The big 50-gallon drum, I'd have to pour the glue in there. Well, then after that, I would be done. I would have to roll in my lap this big, milk crate-looking thing of glue jugs and stack them up for the next day. That was my job. Well, I realized real quick that if they didn't clean the floors properly, I would roll the staples and nails. So I went real quick and started learning that, that I had to go back to college. And then I had to figure out something to do besides just that. Because making $4 for the most cents an hour back then was not enough to pay for wheelchair tires. Insurance wasn't going to pay for that. So I um, went back to college. And then um, shortly after my second year of college um, in 99, I got offered a job with the federal government. Hmm. And I've been there ever since. Wow. Is this like uh, like Jason Bourne? Like what do you what do you like you 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 say that really secretively? Like. <laughs> I really get why. If you just got up and walked out of this door, I would just stop everything. Oh my gosh. One of those undercover drug jobs that you're supposed to last a month, and it's been 26 years. Oh my gosh. Man, sounds like you're living the dream. I don't know. Yeah. Where did you go? I know a homeless guy that has a chair. Yeah. At the on the corner? Yeah, he's he can walk. He actually gets up when he's done and pushes it back to wherever he's staying. Like he's got it just for show. Which I applaud him. You know there are really people that have that that that's like their it's a mental thing they say. Yeah. They 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 want to so they want to be disabled. Well this dude's brilliant. I mean he's got a place to sit while he's on the street corner all day long. Most people don't. And and when he's tired he just rolls on off or gets up and walks off with it. I mean I mean, it's pretty ingenious, it, regardless of if he has mental issues with it or not. But if you are out on the street corner, you laugh. <laughs> but if you run on the street corner begging for money, all right, me and Jacob's, Jacob's on one side of the road standing there with a sign, need money. I'm sitting there on the side of the road chair going, I need help, I need money. Yeah. And you are driving down your little bus, I'm giving money to you, the guy who wants your money first. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the guy's got a game going. I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah. Figuring I don't think. Make a little bit more money yeah, I don't think they do that. Yeah. Like a little. But where were we? I was asking about your Jason, your Jason Bourne job. So, I started out with the government, and um, once again, it's very vague. Well, for Social Security. I, okay. You know, I started out as, a, as kind of a type clerical kind of individual, and after 20 years of, of doing, I've moved up in the ranks. And I actually, oddly enough, I take disability retirement. So you can imagine, I'm sitting here, you're, you're, 
Your life is fantastic. I just want you to say, oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me roll away and get your paperwork up here. You know, I've got five wrist surgeries in the last 10 years. Sure. Oh, my God. Very interesting. And one of my other hats for the government is I did a fraud initiative uh, for the metro area where I'm from. So I can can help prosecute people who fraudulently do stuff for the government. Like work under the table or something like that. And so I always tell them, look, I got caught too. This is the equivalent of washing dishes when you can't pay your, your food bill. So what gym are you working out at home? I CrossFit Ranch in Covington, Georgia. I've been with uh, them for uh, five years now. Sorry, about five years ago. I was super confused at first when I met you because I thought you worked out here. They programmed for here. But then I was like, hey, you're in Georgia now. You're just traveling. And then when I was in Georgia, I was too far. From, watch out for that mic. I'll get you. But yeah, I, didn't, I thought you lived here. So I was like, oh, Mike and Mike. You have guided this podcast. Mike and Mike. Get my voice no, I'm just laughing because he goes, I'm Mike too. <laughs> I just, just started kidding. I did. I just started out. I couldn't. <laughs> I'm professional <laughs> AF. Just because CrossFit may have is my second home when it comes for, for here. I've been coming here for three years and I come here probably every couple of months. Uh, and then I've, I've been very blessed to be friends with Rich and the crew. Um, and then, especially Rich, seeing the need for an adaptive program. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do with that is I take the Mayhem Athlete program and I modify and adapt it for adaptive athletes. Do you only do that for here, or do you do that oh, like yeah. nationwide? Other oh, yeah. people do. This, this is my job here. Okay. Um, well, it's a, it's a programming that you can buy into. Um, it's the online program. So where Mayhem Athlete, they go across the Mayhem has multiple different programs, online programs. They have like a, just a basic all the way to the high elite, richest programming. And so I take that program and I adapt it for people with disabilities, whether you're standing, amputee, uh, paralyzed, um, multiple limb injuries, like a, a, some of the CPMS, those type of things. So we're, they program for uh, RX and scale. I do RX, scale, multi-limb, standing, C, Wow. That's a whole lot more work, it seems like. It's fun. It's, you know, because we're sitting here, the cool thing is, is like, you have someone who is, had hip surgery, and they still do CrossFit, mm-hmm. but they can't do jump ropes, they can't, they can't do certain things, so it's, you're sitting down, you take, you break your foot, you can't do jump ropes, but you can do other things, and so it's adapting that movement to give the same stimulus, but it's a little different, tweaking it. 
Yeah. Okay, so back up from... Sorry, let me get closer. So back up from there, um, what, how did you get into doing sports or into CrossFit or into... I know you did something prior to CrossFit too, right? Like racing or something? Did you do racing? Yeah. That was not a stalker thing. He told me. Whatever, stalker. <laughs> um, no, shortly after I got paralyzed, my aunt and uncle were uh, professional powerlifters. They were very competitive uh, in the American Drug Free Powerlifting Association. So not long after I got paralyzed, I started lifting weights to get stronger. But then after the 96 Olympics, I was watching an exhibition on TV, and I saw Wachiracious in the Atlanta Olympics for an exhibition. So I woke my dad up that, that, that during the night, like, I want to do this. He's like, where are we going to find something like this? So back in 1996, we didn't have a computer at home. I go to the library. So we went to the library and typed in wheelchair racing. Found a, a company in outside of Atlanta, Georgia, that built wheelchairs when we contacted them. And uh, I can't afford a brand new chair, so I'll send you a used chair telling me what size you are. So we measured it. And uh, he said, uh, I have this yellow that I'll sell you for X amount of money. So I don't want yellow. He said, okay, paint it purple. I have purple paint. Okay. I have purple paint. <laughs> so I didn't think much about it. It's purple. So it, a couple weeks later, it was this Barney purple. It was horrible. <laughs> you were like, could I have yellow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that's how I started wheelchair racing. I just, it was something different. And uh, I started doing that. I raced for, for 96 up until competitively, up until. 608 competitively, and then I still raced on not on the elite level like I used to with the, the travel circuit, competitive for the money type stuff. Because um, after the family and starting around with the kids and stuff like that, 120 miles a week in the chair was just too much with working 40 hour week Sheesh. So it was getting up in the morning at 3 30 in the morning and putting in a marathon before everybody else got up. Is there like a stationary thing? It was very, very similar, like a spindle, and you put your knuckles on it and you just roll. And uh, it was kind of a workout, swimming, lifting. It was just, it was a constant. Every day I was, I was losing time with my family. And so I retired from racing, and then uh, I got, just really getting bored with that. And uh, I wouldn't do it, I was just getting bored. So I found optimal racing. And uh, nobody was doing OCR racing. This is not really not closures. So I contacted um, Spark Racing. Hey, look, can I do one of your races? You got one coming up in Atlanta here. Can I do it? No one's ever done that in a blizzard before. Can I try it? Sure, why not? And so it went to there and I helped create what is now Spark has an adaptive competitive teams. And so we, I was one of the first ones who built. Uh, team-based wheelchair athletics and OCR races. Um, did that for a couple of years, and I kind of got bored with that. So, I did it, and I got bored with it. So did that, was it team-based? Because when you would go through the obstacle, you would, you would not do it with the wheelchair. So someone had to meet you at the wheelchair. That's how the team aspect worked? It was like if I had to go over a 12-foot wall, I couldn't, obviously I couldn't grab it. Mm. So they would help lift me up. I'd pull myself up. Gotcha. And back and forth. And so we did that for a while. We did some of the challenges. I did the, uh, this, I was the first paradise person ever to Spartan Death Race. It was. That sounds terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
300 some odd people signed up for it, you go until there's about 5% left. It could be four days, it could be five days. And you completed the whole thing? No. I lasted 25 hours before I was cut, but I was treated like an able-bodied athlete. So they took my chair away from me within the first 30 minutes, I had to crawl like three miles. <gasps> so, with like a 60 pound rucksack on the back, with clothes and food, stuff like that. So it was, it was in Vermont mountains, it was horrible. But it was fun. It was fun. And you lasted how many hours? 25 hours. 24 and a half without your chair. No, I had my chair at times. Oh, but they took it away during parts. We got the parts. There were times that we had to uh, create, like, it was, that year was the gambler. I think that year was, that was what it was kind of gone by. And every kind of obstacle there was, was you get token and you get gamble. You bet. If I could beat you or you could beat me, if I lost, I had to do the task. There were times we had to, we had to dig our own graves. There was time. Oh my gosh, what? <laughs> what was happening? It was really, it was a mental torture of how far could you go. At the end of it, there was the only prize you would get would be a skull, and you got to keep your jersey, and that was it. But to get that coveted skull with that apple on it, it was just one of those things. I mean, it's was called death race for a reason. I mean, you literally, mentally, you had to go somewhere in the dark to do that. And so I did that. Um, I did, uh, so hold on, I'm not done with this yet. Hold on, hold on. I got I got more questions around this. So, how long did the race last? Like the winner? It was like 79. 79 hours. And you went 25. Golly. I think I was the 26 or 27th person to go out. The 25 of anybody people were out before I was. They was there anybody else in a wheelchair doing this with you? You're the only person. There was. Um, my, the friend that got me that agreed to do it with me uh, because Jonathan, the uh, CEO of Spark, dared me to do it. You're like, okay. He said, you can't do this. He said, you can last an hour. Those are my favorite words. And that was okay. What'd you get for an hour? He said, he said if, you, if you can last an hour, you, you, you've done something. We'll show you more than an hour. Like, how about if I last over an hour, you pay for all the rest of my races I ever want to do for my lifetime? Well, actually, that happened. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. I'll just sit back over here. <laughs> really? But I did that for a while, and then anything that was a challenge that someone hadn't done, I wanted to do. The go hooks. First paradise person ever to go hook. In Atlanta, Georgia, we crawled all over town. It was the coolest thing I ever done in my life to sit there and have someone who was a ranger or a seal tell me you've accomplished something. You know, I and mean, it was cool. Stuff like that. I've done several of those. Um, there's a mountain in it, uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia. I've crawled in on my hands and knees three times for charity. Uh, it's, it's just. Yeah, you're crazy. Because, I mean, <laughs> it could be done. So, uh, I think my most recent crazy accomplishment was I did my world record in uh, 15. And that's actually how I found CrossFit. The what? My world record. Okay. I pulled the uh, 2016 Honda Pilot football field in my chair for charity. So. Okay, you need to describe how this works. So you've seen a strongman. Yeah, I've, I've done that. Yeah. So hand over hand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they attach you yeah, to something so you don't know. Okay. Yeah. So it was like the harness that you see people that are hanging those scaffolds. Yeah, yeah. Those real strong harnesses attach it to my back. I take the rope and I just hand over hand. Yeah, I was wondering what kind of pulling you you were doing, whether that was like in the chair pulling, you know, like with it attached to you and you're pulling the car, or if you were actually hand over hand pulling, yeah. Uh, I did have actually a, a, a little sanction, not a, not a cross-train, cross-train, a competition. 
that did there was like a halftime show. And so I did it. And I had always done, every year I did Murph. I didn't know, I didn't know that was CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know my own time. I didn't, it wasn't like, wasn't time. I just did it when I felt like stop doing when I felt like it again. It was never really for time. Um, I did my one record for Savannah. I thought it was really cool. And then I got invited to come back uh, in May to do Murph. So the first time I did Murph was with a 45 pound weight vest on my mouth on my training mat strap to my face and my, my everyday wheelchair. And two and a half hours later I did Murph. It was brutal. It was the most thing I've done in my life, but I said we're gonna do it again. So how do you adapt that? Because Murph is pull-ups, push-ups, and squats, and then a mile run on either side. So I'll push, mm-hmm. pull-ups, push-ups, and then I need dips instead of squats. That's the thing that amazes me when I see you doing stuff, like how freaking jacked your arms have to be. Like mine, I don't feel like I can use for three days just watching you do stuff with your arms. Like it's unbelievable. And that's the thing, we do everything with arms. And that's where a lot of the stretching comes in, uh, the warming up for life. But that's where you have to adapt. By the way, that way you're the push-pull movements that we're not doing the same thing over and over and over. Um, this year when I did Murph, I did it in like uh, 54 minutes. But I did it to the dentist show, I did it with a 30 pound med ball. I did med ball setups. So, wow. it's just, we changing it up. So, I mean, you have to figure out the stimulus. Because what we're doing was doing too much with our, our upper body. And you go from pushing to pull-ups to push-ups to then do dips. Mm-hmm. It was just too much on my arm. And so a lot of people that do Murph see it, we change it up and do this shit with the med ball sellers. And I did it with a 20 pound weight vest on top of that. Add to it. So it Goodness. But that's actually how I found out. I was at the competition and I thought it was so neat to watch these people putting themselves through all kinds of craziness. Yeah. This is fun. They're always in the or they're in a bucket. <laughs> I thought it was so funny so you need to see how far they would push themselves and I thought well if I pushed myself in a different way I don't want anybody to do this so I started researching I found there were some some other nuts in the world that was doing CrossFit and I found the adaptive CrossFit community that's, that's, that I'm part of today now is there games competitive or yes. competitors yes yeah um, or do they have a division and an adaptive division we do it's uh, uh, Chris Dottenberg from Canada created worldwide several years ago and we have the worldwide games we do the open with everybody else um, but he programs whenever Dave Castro comes out with his with the workout uh, they, you guys get them on Thursday we get ours on Friday so huh. he, has, uh, he has that night to program everything to have it for us by Friday afternoon then so you're a games it. athlete too? no I was sitting next to greatness <laughs> what? you are um, I have um, I've played twice during my first time and I won it uh, in the scale division the last time I met. So I'm an older guy, so I, don't, I'm not, I know where I'm at physically. So I'm okay. With so you're like master's adaptive. Yeah. If, if, if there was such. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's water blues is phenomenal. They have a great. That's uh, the one that's in Florida, right? Yes. They have a great. They treat. They put us on the same level. Mm-hmm. I guess all I can say that as far as any other athletes, we get the same credit. Uh, we go through the same workouts, and they're just as hard. Take a little break. Come back and hear about what you're up to now. Sure. All right. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by NutriShop Franklin. 
Go on by NutriShop Franklin for all your personal needs. You need supplements? They got it. You need your protein? They got it. You need a pick-me-up? You need to drink a bang? They got it. So go check them out in Franklin in the Cool Springs area. When you stop in and you see Kyle, say, hey, Jacob said you got some good stuff here. I'll tell you, you won't be disappointed because they have unrivaled customer service. So go check them out and tell them you heard about them and the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. All right, if you're still listening to this podcast, which I hope you are, it's been an incredible story. I once again apologize for all the uh, bad sound and how high and hot we had to make the game so you could hear the voices in the background. But uh, please, we've got a little bit more to go, and uh, I'd love for you to hear what Michael Mills is up to now and how you can be a part of all the amazing things that he's doing. So please continue to listen. And uh, once again, just apologize for the mess. If, if I get uh, another copy of the audio, I'll upload this and um, update that for us. I'm um, asking the videographer to work on the sound that she got. So hopefully we'll be able to update this in the near future. But check back. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the rest of the podcast. And thanks so much for listening. So uh, in the second half podcast, we like to talk about whatever you're getting into now, whatever you want to plug or pitch or growl at or burp at, whichever you want. So, so what's going on with you? What is it? Um, currently right now, January, I started, um, I met a young lady uh, that was uh, 12 years old and got recently paralyzed. And um, where I, when I would go up into South Carolina and train, uh, that's where her gym was. And didn't realize that well, we knew each other, but... Well, her coach knew me, and then the, they, the father reached out to um, the coach and said, hey, you know about what's your CrossFit? And she's like, oddly enough, I do. I know a guy. And uh, that guy was me. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I went to the hospital in the Atlanta area and met her. Um, and just her smile, it was just an automatic, what can I do now? And uh, the day I said, I want to get her back involved with CrossFit, but I just don't know how. And I left her that day thinking, well, how can I, what can I do to help her as quick as I can get involved with something that she's used to? Because I know when I got paralyzed, my mind got everywhere from suicide thoughts to just, what's my mind? What am I going to do? You know, I, I, I didn't want her to go through that the way that I did. Hmm. She could do it on time, but I wanted her to have something she was used to to help as quick as I could because I learned. If you can get involved with something immediately after something like that, it makes the transition a little easier. Uh-huh. And uh, so I reached out to some really cool people and I said, hey guys, I want to raise my money to get this young lady and have a new sports chair. Can you guys help me? And then in about 45 minutes, I had that money raised and then some to get her a new chair. Oh, wow. So I contacted my mom and dad and said, look, I want permission to do this. Is it okay? Because I just want to do it without the permission. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. And uh, I said, don't tell her. This is a surprise. And so in about a week and a half, I had her a new sports chair ordered and uh, delivered it to her in about two weeks back to the hospital where she was a patient at. And uh, surprise. And uh, I actually got her up here to CrossFit Mayhem here in the Open this year. Oh, fun. I got to meet her and 
Yeah. So to somebody who's not, um, to somebody who's not in a wheelchair and doesn't understand like why you would need special funding for like what's the difference of a wheelchair? What makes it well, special? For a chair for CrossFit, you gotta have something that's gonna have a stability. Uh, the camera, the wheels have gotta be a wider. Uh, there's gotta be a wheel bar in the back. But you can imagine lifting overhead 75 pounds and you lose your balance, you're out backwards. Mm-hmm. The barbell's gonna hit you, you're gonna hurt yourself. So you wanna have something that's gonna be stationary. It would be like sitting in a chair with three with three legs instead of four. So it's, it would be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Some people can do it, it's just not safe. And I thought, what better way to get her back involved as quick as I could to get her in a chair that would fit her for that need. And so when I did that, I reached out to these people when we raised some legs because we could have got in the chair and it sparked my interest to help other people. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the sports chair initiative came from. And so I decided I would start a uh, an Instagram page here called the Sports Year Initiative and a GoFundMe account. And this year, so far, since I started this, I've uh, purchased eight chairs for people so far and raised almost uh, $8,000 so far this year. Oh, wow. How much yeah. does each chair cost? Right now, the company that was getting chairs through, um, I found just an intermediate kind of a starter chair for about a grand. Um, so that's not counting shipping and handling, but it just it gets it started. Huh. And I've been putting foot inside the bill of my own money to help pay for some of the, the cost of shipping and stuff like that. But, um, talking with the company possibly about making some more chairs that are a little more, a little better made, uh-huh. uh, for as like, like, like my chair, uh, to make it a little more custom for a little bit more money. And so my goal this year is to, to get four more chairs for the rest of the year. I'd like to get 12 people help for, for 12 months of the year. Um, next year, of course, be a different goal, but right now, that's what I'm, I'm shooting for. I've got about two and a half, two and a half months left to get. I've got four people in, in waiting, and so I've already picked out who I want to help. It's just now, it's just the funding is coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can do, and I've signed on with um, a nonprofit uh, group called Be More Adaptive. They are Health Football with C3. They have a tax ID. We actually, if you're a company, if you want to donate, you can actually get the tax right off through that. If you donate for the GoFundMe, obviously there's no tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, that's where I, I hate to say it, I pulled at people's heartstrings so far. Mm-hmm. And I've asked, I've been enough people for help, you know, and I've kind of worn that out. So now it's just trying to figure out a way to get help to help other people. And it's, I, I, I make no, I don't make anything from doing this. It's not, it's just something I want to do. Sure. That I, I know what CrossFit has done for me. As an individual, I know what it's done for me physically to be able to pick things up, pick my six-year-old up, get something off the top shelf. Like I said, that's a ground overhead movement. Um, just getting in and out of your chair to be stronger and to have something to look forward to every day in the store, it's just that much more fun. And if I can get someone help by doing that, I'll go to any link I possibly can. So they can just Google GoFundMe and look up they Sports Chair Initiative? Yeah, they can actually go through Instagram. If they follow Instagram, go to uh, Sports Chair Initiative. Um, they have an Instagram page for that. Um, or they can actually follow me at Jason Michael Mills and they, just, they can contact me through that as well. But the Instagram is, like I said, the Sports Chair Initiative. And there's actually a link on there. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Mayhem has a lot of noises. Yeah, yeah. People were very excited. Very excited. I was a little kid going around the Corvette. But then, you know, the other thing I saw around is just the Mayhem Adaptive Program that we have on our program through CrossFit Mayhem that is basically, like I said earlier, it's the 
demand athlete elite programming is just I'm modifying, adapting it for adaptive athletes from all walks of life. So and it's a program you can sign up for. It's online daily program that I set up every day. Um, have those up every night. The next day there's uh, there's options you can do multiple workouts in one day, or you have a one day option you can do. Goodness. So how far in advance do you get? what you need to work on in terms of that like how how far off do you get the programming so that you can make it for the adaptive athletes today uh, I got next week's workouts okay I started working on writing the eggshells with the new guys and I'm actually working on it today and so I kind of look and see what the able-bodied athletes are doing and I kind of go back and go okay what is it that I can do to this workout to give it the same stimulus like for a burpee um, for you guys obviously a burpee we can do a modified burpee body. I call them burpees. It's just okay. <laughs> doing it the same stimulus to make it as fast and efficient. For us, it's another movement. We got to get in and out of our chair. So you do slam balls. So you're down on the ground. I'm the slam ball on the ground. You're coming up with your hands over there. The slam ball is up above my head, and I'm bringing it back down again. So it's the same stimulus, same movement, same speed as a burpee. Similar to same. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What, what's, what's been the hardest movement that you've had to adapt to, to do? Like that was okay. Muscle ups. I, I, after five years, I still can't do a muscle up. I can do all like a ring muscle up, but it's extremely difficult. There's some people, there's some guys that are in chairs that can do them in their chair this day. Oh, Zach, yeah. Zach, yeah. Zach, 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 Zach is an animal. It's a, it's a whole world out there that, you know, no, unless you're in it, you don't know about it. Correct. Right. You, know? you look at it and you, you don't think about a wall ball workout. It's still wall balls. I'm just not squatting down. I'm still, like, our wall balls are two for one. I can do two wall balls for your one wall ball. So it's a little lower, of course. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask what the height was. I think, um, I think RX is eight or nine feet. Yeah, that's still pretty high. Okay. That was like seven or eight. Fourteen pounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, for our heavy days, twenty. So. Um, Goodness. So do you do RX adaptive and a scaled adaptive? Yes. Yeah, I have uh, for the man program. We do RX adaptive, uh, scaled adaptive, and uh, multi limb adaptive. Multi limb adaptive would be someone who has like MS or CP uh, that, 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 that obviously don't have the use of their legs uh, or have very little movement. And then they're limited to one side of the body. So the weight will go a percentage difference. So you're still getting the same stimulus. You may still do a ground overhead or you may do a push press, um, but the weights are different. Gotcha. So, you know, I wouldn't expect an RX athlete to do a 95-pound push press as a scale athlete to do that. I would expect a scale to do 65 and then a multi-level to 45 or 55, depending on the person's level. So. Ah, very good. 
man, I love it. I, you know, and uh, it, it was a awesome thing to watch you compete um, for me. Um, like, it was just phenomenal. Um, that was a fun competition. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that if things go well, I'm hoping that next year that we're going to be able to slot in some more adaptive athletes next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's the Are you the only one? Yeah. That's how we kind of got started because I saw the competition. I'm like, hey, can I come? Yeah, you you finished above me for sure. Um, yeah, thanks for just agreeing with that so quickly. Um, <laughs> I one workout, I think I finished second overall in was the, uh, the the deadlift, uh, D ball, and uh, the bike. It was fun. I used a skier because of the bike, obviously, but but that one was I can't come across that one. Like I was blown away when I was that fast. <laughs> that was deadly. Those workouts, those movements were in my wheelhouse. I love, I love the D-Balls. I take, if I'm pressed for time, sometimes I'll do 100 D-Balls for time. Oh, why? Well, that doesn't sound fun at all. What do you do that in? What time is that? Uh, seven minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, if you can ball, just racking it. Yeah, yeah, just just doing that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Golly. <laughs> I want to punch you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's fantastic oh my gosh a South Park one yeah yeah I'm, I was a big fan of Mr. Hanky so I think that'd be a good one too no 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 Christmas poo the Golden Girls is fantastic well I wanted to get a was it George Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't even take that. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you should have had on the other side, though. <laughs> you got to come around the other side, you know, to see it. I learned real quick, my throw is the best I absolutely love when people are comfortable with themselves enough to make other people uncomfortable with them. Like yes. Case in point, Annette walked flat into that wall, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, I don't know you well enough to be like, ah, that's funny. I was just like, oh, crap. And then, um, yeah. Now I feel like we're on a better level. Like, should have had like, one big comeback. I'll think about it tonight at about 2 o'clock when I'm laying there. My six-year-old loves handicap jokes. Yeah. yeah. He's like, Dad, he said, you were dumb in school. You know, wow. You never understood anything. <laughs> oh, jeez. As a six-year-old. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> you just got coal for Christmas, but well done. <laughs> so what's kind of like a, like an overall... Tying it back together in case you have other questions. Just like, what would you say to like somebody who's just entering, you know, the same things that you have gone through, or somebody that's in your younger shoes, or be open for change. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be so close-minded, and don't think that that's it. 
there's so much more out there. Um, life's not over with it, just better say no. Hmm. My life just began when I got so happy. I was 16 years old. I, I, I hadn't even really started to live a real life yet. Um, so now I've spent, you know, over half my life in this position, but I've done more seated, seated than I would have to kind of understand You know, I, it, it's a different perspective. Um, my glass has always been half full, you know, kind of so to speak, but after I got paralyzed, it was the water tasted better, you know? Um, but just like I said, just be open. Be open for change and understand that there's going to be limitations, there's going to be challenges, but make those challenges worth it, make those challenges fun, and um, experience life. Those are the, the biggest things I can could, I could tell anybody. Like the young lady that I talked to, I said, it's, it's, your life's not over. It's going to be different. It's going to be completely different. But, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that it is what it is. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't really have a say-so when things like this happen. You know, you, you do, wrong, you do have a say-so of what you do afterwards. But when it happens, you can't say, well, I have the car back today. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can't expect to not spill the last spill. You can't expect to spill coffee on your, your lap. Those things just want to happen. But it's how you handle it is how your life goes. And like I said, I think if it's just you're open for change. Huh. And, and expect things like that to change because it's otherwise you're going to be miserable. Right. I mean, you literally would be just as piss poor individual that nobody wants to be around. I, I could I, I just... I got your own people. I like being, I like talking too much. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to people like able-bodied people or like what, like if like, how am I trying to say this? And I'm super echoey. But what would you say as far as like, like me being intimidated to come to talk to you or something like that? Like what would you say to other people? Like basically it's, you're it's pretty no, a pretty kick-ass person. So. It's no different than someone looking at somebody else and thinking, Going to be I think you're beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, you're, 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 you're going to see, you're, no matter what, there's always going to be something different. Mm -hmm. um, just because I'm shrinking down doesn't mean that, I don't, that I'm, not, I'm not different than you. I'm the same as you. You're just, you're standing, I'm seated. Would you have had trouble talking to me if you didn't know I was going to trip sitting on the bench? Probably because you were like a tattooed up badass that was like sitting over there doing jump rope. So, yes. But no, no, no. But what I'm saying, though, <laughs> what I'm saying though, if I was just sitting in a, in a, on a bench at a park and no wheelchair over there, would you have had more difficulty speaking to me, looking the way I do, or sitting in a wheelchair? Not doing anything specific, just sitting there. Would you have thought different, or would you just bypass me? You would have bypassed me more. You would just thought, okay, so you got a guy just tattooed and keep on walking. Mm -hmm. But the wheelchair caught your eye, mm -hmm. and then you saw something different. And that's, that's the key. It's a difference. Don't let that difference stop you from learning people. Mm -hmm. Just like you drive a bus. <laughs> for for one different. hour, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Approach people which one you want to be approached. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's 
99.9% of us are going to be like, hey, how are you doing? We don't see this. It's part of us. It's made us who we are. It's just an extension of our life. It's like having kids. It's just an extension part of our life. That's just part of who we are. Um, the chair made me who I am, so to speak, because of what happened to me. But the, the chair doesn't identify who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it does to an extent because without the chair, where would I be? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where would my life be if I hadn't got here last night? But how are you in this world today? I don't know. So I think they would approach someone in a different, a different light, whether they be famous, whether they be popular, unpopular, whatever. Just approach them. If you have a question, ask. You know, and then uh, what's the worst that can happen? I could bite your head off. You feel bad for 30 minutes and you forget about them the next day. That is not true. That will haunt me the rest of but my no, life. But what, <laughs> just what I'm saying. I'm a two. In, 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 in real life situations, you know, if you approach someone, if, if they're cold to you, the same the person that was cold to you in the grocery store yesterday, are you really going to remember them from me? Mm-hmm. You're not really going to remember <laughs> I know well. I know well. I know well. But what I'm saying to is just take the time to learn something. Yeah. It's okay. Just say, hey, my name is Annette. I think your tattoos are kind of cool. What is this thing you're sitting in? I've literally watched her do that a handful of times. She is the most awkward turtle, and I love it. I'm just obsessed with people's stories because yeah. everybody has one. And, yeah. like, and if it's something that's different than me, I'm just, like, intrigued by it. And, and I find the beauty of it. I don't think it's, like, it's not scary. It's not, and, um, I just want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anything else from you? I'm good. All right. If you want to follow this cat, go to at uh, Chasing Michael Mills. Um, also, you can uh, look for his blues name, uh, Willie Jones, or you can check out and Google uh, Sports Chair Initiative, right? Right. Uh, Instagram as well. So all the places. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and thanks for being here, Michael. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank we'll see you. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. On your way out, please take time to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star review if you like what you've heard. And also, leave us a comment. Let us know what's going on with you. If you don't mind, stop on Instagram. Give us a little like on the IG at Barbell Voodoo Podcast. Also, you can find me there at fitby40.blog. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.